welcome everybody back to the Diagonal Media Series, where we we talk to people on this show we call the In Crowd, our speaker series with creators that are in the film, TV, and media industries. And today we have Rob Grabo. Hey, Rob. Hey, Blake. Hey, um, nice to see you. Rob, you are a filmmaker. You are a director. You're a writer. You are uh, an actor. Yeah. Tell us more about yourself. Um, all those things. Uh, I started a couple of companies in college. I was a finance major. Then I went back, went to Columbia for international affairs. And then after that, I went back, get my MFA in acting at the Actors Studio Drama School. And then I kind of got into filmmaking from there. And so we just did finish my first feature film called The Year of the Dog. It came out and I wrote it, co-directed it, produced it, and then was one of the lead actors. But the dog was the kind of the real star, but I was like his sidekick in it. And that's, yeah, my background. You pick. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to give away too much of the story today about your film, Year of the Dog, The Year of the Dog. Um, I think everybody should go check it out. It's available on Amazon Prime to rent or buy. And uh, where else, Rob? Where else can people find the film? Basically, anywhere you, anywhere there's TVOD, like transactional video on demand, so iTunes, Google Play, Dish, Xfinity, wherever people rent or buy movies on streaming. Amazing. Um, well, I did watch the movie. It's very close to my heart. There's a lot of universal themes yeah. and dogs. I mean, I, you know, I have a dog. Uh, the dog used in the film is incredible. The the actors that you cast, the scenes, the the um the, the kind of locations you found as well. I, I'm just curious about so much. What would you think, like, after doing it, what's what's the biggest thing you learned? That making a movie is really difficult. Um, and the distribution side of it, even more so. And that rescue dogs are the most amazing thing on the planet. I think those are three things I learned. Our lead dog in the film, Caleb, is his real life name. He's a rescue. And he had been passed between homes because people kept saying he was too much dog and he was too energetic. And so we ended up adopting him. And it was exactly those qualities that made him so wonderful on screen. And I think it's just a good reminder that sometimes the things that people pass over and other human beings and animals are the things that have kind of this amazing kind of gold in them. So that's your dog? No, he he had, he ultimately got adopted by a group um, in California where he now does Petco commercials and he plays with his best friend, which is a little beagle named Butch. And so he's in Southern California. Wow. Caleb, the is he a, is he a husky? Yeah, he's a Siberian husky. A Siberian husky. And um the the story also centers around a character's struggle with addiction and family and friends. Uh so you wrote the film and directed it, and yeah. you said you produced it and you're in it. So yeah. Uh, you know, I'm just like, how? How did you do that? <laughs> I mean, it was, you just kind of trust that you can problem solve, right? I mean, I this had been a story that I wanted to tell. I left acting school early because my mom was going through cancer treatment. And then they thought I had cancer during this period. And I was like, I need a break. And so I was out in the sticks in Montana. And I started writing this story that meant a lot to me personally. And then I just decided we're going to make it. And I trusted, you know, I'd been involved in startups. And so I kind of knew the architecture of taking something that doesn't exist and bringing it into existence. And so I just worked it 
one step at a time, um, basically for three years now through distribution, it was just a, you know, just an incredibly Everest-like learning curve all along the way for three years. Um, so, um, you know, Diagonal, we're a video production company and a creative agency. And so maybe we can get a little technical. Can you tell us uh, a bit about, you know, the cameras that you used? Uh, or do you know about that stuff? Yeah. I, I know just enough. Just enough. We used, we shot it on red and black magic for the two cameras we used. Um, side note, I just have to say this about Diagonal, by the way. You guys saved our butts because you cut such an absolutely amazing trailer. Like that, that thing has had well over a hundred thousand views and I'm sure much more on various platforms, but you guys just did an amazing job side note. So thank you. Um, Our pleasure. Yeah. yeah. But we shot on black magic and red with the two cameras. Wow. It looks amazing. And you have aerial uh, videography in there as well. Yeah. Drones just North of Yellowstone in Montana. Yeah. Yeah, it's epic. And so tell us about your crew a little bit. So what was what did your crew kind of comprise of? Um, well, we had obviously the the principal cast. So we had Michael Spears and John Proudstar, two actors from Reservation Dogs and um, 1923. Um, we had Aaron Finley, who's on Broadway, Carly and Moulin Rouge, who is a friend from Montana. Um, and then Alyssa Gronig was someone who didn't have any film acting experience who came on and did an amazing job as Julie in the film. And then, you know, we had kind of the key positions, a cinematographer, you know, co-directors, um, you know, uh, DIT, um, sound, lights. Um, we had our dog trainer who worked with Caleb with positive reinforcement, did an absolutely amazing job with him. So I think I think in all we had 18 kind of key crew members on the film. And I, I guess my so it looks amazing. And, um, I, you know, it's an indie film, right? I mean, yeah. you kind of you didn't have the backing of a studio. You went into it. Uh, I, I, did you finance this yourself or were you able to find did you run a Kickstarter or anything like this? But, you know, I mean, when when you're starting a project, right, they say, hey, you should try to raise it yourself or from friends and family. And so I sold a condo I had to do the bulk of the financing for it. And then I like, I hit up some friends and family. I was like, hey guys, you know, you wanna be involved in a movie project? And a couple of friends put in some money. And uh, I think I financed about 80% of it. And then I had friends finance the, the rest of it. And uh, it was just really cool to work with people, right? That I really liked on the, on the financing side. So that was, but it was, yeah, it was just thought about selling my kidney, decided I wanted to keep it. But, you know, I would have figured something out if I needed to. Well, it looks amazing. And 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 it looks, you know, it looks really expensive. <laughs> it looks so good. It looks like a studio movie. I mean, the way that it's filmed, the acting, the, you know, all of the little uh, nuances that you had, the locations. I mean, there's I, I think there's like 30 locations, which is incredible. Um, also, the sound is so good. And a lot of times you'll find indie projects they they push sound off to the side, but your your sound department was excellent. You know, and, and Lily and I talked about that a lot, right? If you have bad sound on a film, it will if, if the sound doesn't work, it just pulls people out, out of the imaginary circumstance and you're kind of done, right? So sound was super important. And the guy who did our sound out of Montana has won like a local Emmy for his sound work and he's just like exceptionally good. So we got very lucky. So you know, the the journey from 
the kind of inception of this film and thinking about it and coming up with this concept of being able to want it now to distribution. I think a lot of us know, a lot of us see how projects come to life in the beginning stages and we do creative ideation and we know, yeah, we take it from, you know, concept to delivery, but this, this whole distribution thing, we don't know much about. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. You know, with an indie film, usually what happens is you get like you go on like the festival circuits and try to get into film festivals. And then if you get into some big ones like you know, Toronto or Sundance or Telluride, then you get a chance at distribution and distribution. The first year of distribution would be like digital. So you get, you know, ideally on Amazon or Hulu or Netflix or something like that. And then if you're really lucky, you get a chance at theatrical. And every year there's something like, I think pre-COVID it was like 160 films a year get theatrical distribution, meaning they play in like, like 80 theaters or more, something like that qualifies. Um, and after COVID, it was like 80. So only 80 films a year will get a theatrical run. And we ended up, I had this dream of getting one commercial theater for one week so that John and Michael's performance could qualify for an Indie Spirit Award. And so we had we talked to a distributor in Montana and we were able to get test screenings at nine theaters in Montana and Idaho. And we ended up opening number one in eight of those nine theaters. And so the distributor was like, all right, well, we're going to scale this up. And we ended up opening at 100 theaters, then including like in New York at the Angelica. So we had this wow. big theatrical run across the country. And wait, we got to, we, we're all going to give you a quick round of wait, applause for that. Wait, that is huge. That's huge. Yeah. The Angelica. That's that amazing. Cool. Yeah, but but your trailer helped a lot with that, Blake. I'm going to tell you that because your trailer, you guys got that trailer back in September right around our test screenings. And then we actually had a big theatrical release like February 24th. And so during that time, a lot of people saw the trailer and that that helped a lot because it really, you guys did a really, again, wonderful job capturing the heart of the film while also kind of progressing the story forward. So so we got we got lucky and then we also, you know, just worked really hard to try to land that theatrical release. And so then we had a theatrical and now we're on digital. And there's like with digital, you go TVOD, which is transactional video on demand where people pay to buy or rent it. And then you go subscription video on demand where it's for free for people who like subscribe to HBO or Showtime or whatever. And then you go advertising video on demand where it's available. Um, if people are willing to watch ads and then you get money on the back end from ad revenue. And uh, yeah, that's quite a story to to open up at just those nine theaters and then to have that 150, did you say 150 theaters, 100, 100 theaters that happened across the nation. That's incredible. And now you're on, now you're on prime. I hope you're bringing in some views. Um, pretty awesome. And so what was that journey like? Just You just kind of get it on Prime and you set a price and you just watch to see what happens after that? Yeah, I mean, some of those things, Blake, are a little above my pay grade <laughs> now that it's with the uh, distributor. But but yeah, I mean, every once in a while I'll get little updates on the numbers, you know, maybe. And can oh, Okay, cool. So yeah, I mean, I mean, I didn't even know that. So you, it's with the distributor even after the theatrical release. So the distributor has the film they're doing the theatrical release across those hundred theaters, and now they put it on the TVOD. Yeah, in our case, we had a different distributor for, the, for theatrical than we did for digital. So we moved from our theatrical distributor to our digital distributor, and now our digital distributor licenses out licenses it out to the different streaming platforms. 
And it's all shot in Montana, filmed in Montana. All shot in Montana, like where where my mom's family is from. Like we had the church in the film is from the film A River Runs Through It. So oh, wow. my, my grandfather helped build that Lutheran church like the early 1900s, I think. And so it was like, there's a lot of family connection too to you know parts of the story, which was cool. It was a nice like aspect of it. And so how do you direct while you're in a scene with other actors in that same scene? So on set, I mean, a lot of my directing work came beforehand in setting up the shots and then came in during the edit. Um, but but on set, we had two co-directors to do exactly that. Like we talked through what all the character arcs are kind of going to be. And I would just, my job on set was more of a producer while also acting, which is also just, you know, it was it was tough because my person I'm portraying is, you know, going, really going through a tough time. And so I really wanted to honor what he was going through, which meant that I had to pay a lot of attention to this, you know, this kind of heavier aspect of myself that I was bringing forward for the film, but then also had to relate to everyone on set as human beings, right? And, and not kind of caught up in my own little internal drama as this character. And so that was really hard to kind of toggle in and out of that. And so, you know, we had these long conversations beforehand where I was like, hey, I'm going to be in character. I'm going to be spending a lot of time in this place. And so just know that when we're on set, I'm this is this is a choice I have to make, you know, to make sure that I don't screw up the acting part of this film. And if we don't have that, then we don't really have a film. So we were all on the same page. And I knew most of the people well enough that that I could just talk openly about that. We do have a question from Andrea. Yeah. Andrea. Hi. Um, Hi. I just wanted to know because this whole is incredible. And I mean, I'm assuming this exceeded your expectations of what the film was going to go on to do. So I was curious if there was ever a time in the process, whether I was writing, uh, pre-production or production where you actually thought, okay, I, I want to walk away from this. This is too much. This is too hard. And what were those moments? Yeah, there were so many of those moments. Like I, I remember, like, I think, so we shot 140 scenes of the film in 19 days, which meant that, and I was in like 110 scenes, I think, or 120 scenes. So each day I'd be in like between seven and 11 scenes and we we're shooting out of order. And so like in the morning, I would be like crying my eyes out in the afternoon, it'd be like cheering and really exciting and then crying again. So halfway through production, I remember coming home and just like borderline bawling. And I was, my mom, my mom has a place near where we were filming. So I would just crash there at night and I came home and I was like, I can't do this. Like what I way in way over my head. And she wrote this like little note that she put on my door. And she's just like, I was like, I can't find the, the emotional truth of this guy and all this. And she wrote a note that said, act the shit out of it. And she just kept putting that on my door every day. And it was a good reminder for me. And then when we finished shooting, we had all of our footage. I was really scared on our last day of shooting. We had this big like snow scene we were shooting. And I didn't think we got the footage we needed, but we were super rushed. Um, and so I was like, oh God, please let us have the footage. And, and we got to the edit and we didn't have the footage. And I was like, we can't, this is, this is done. Uh, we're in a lot of trouble. And uh, cause we were completely out of money at that point. We couldn't reshoot it. 
the dog Caleb was down in California there's just no way we could have reshot that scene and I started like calling my family up and I was like hey can we do like a montage instead of having it film what if we got a little clever like video like uh like a picture montage with stills and like that's a terrible idea Rob I was like yeah you're right but I don't know what to do and we ended up finding just we there were, there were like two clips we had missed and we found just enough footage to put together this final scene um, but that was like three months of just internal panic where I was like, I wasted all my money. I wasted my friend's money. And this is like, so, so for me, it was like, and that went through distribution. I mean, when we had our theatrical release, we ran into a big issue at the beginning. I was like, we're not going to make it out in time. So it felt like I, I kind of got used to the fact that just about every day it was something borderline catastrophic that was going to happen that we just have to figure it out. So, so there were many of those moments and I'm just now starting to feel like it's okay. Just starting to feel that way. It was a three year journey, yeah. but also kind of like a lifelong journey, right? There's a lot of life in this film. Yeah. yeah. A lot of life story. Yeah. Um, it's beautiful. We, we have a question from Miguel who's right here. Miguel asks how long did production take versus post-production production was 19 day uh 19 days to, to shoot it post-production also known as rob's purgatory was uh i think when it was all said and done it was 10 months post and then and color and that includes color and sound mixing and color and, and sound mixing and vfx yeah okay yeah. what kind of vfx did you have to do well so some small things like the opening scene where my character is coming out of like jail there's it's actually at a it's at my hometown court uh post office so we had to change post office to courthouse mm -hmm. the masthead then we had the vfx in bricks because we have these weight pulling scenes and uh, we didn't get the right number of bricks on the sled. So I, it was it was like three months of just colossal difficulty finding someone who could VFX bricks in motion capture when we had no, we didn't have any, we had no way of tracking. So the tracking of those bricks was really difficult VFX. So the dog actually pulled a few less bricks than the bricks that the dog is pulling in the film. Dog pulled virtually no bricks. And okay, all right. <laughs> and, and Caleb didn't actually like pulling, so we had to have a stunt dog do the pulling. Oh, wow. And Caleb is a dude dog, and the stunt dog was a female, and she did all the heavy lifting for the film, so that just needed a little bit of Wow. Also. That mirrors life a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I guess my, my big question for you now, Rob, is you've done one film. Now what do you do? Let's see. <laughs> sleep okay no we're, but i'm sure you i'm sure you are now thinking like okay well i gotta do another i gotta do something there's a I, I got this creative you you have a creative kind of fire inside of you and you are multi-talented and you're like the quadruple threat that i was saying earlier you produce and you direct and you act and you write so um what do you what do you think what do you want to do I want to make another film, Blake. I want to make another film, I think, in next summer, probably. Um, just question, would you guys be up for cutting another trailer? <laughs> yes, yes. We'll always cut a trailer for you, anytime. Okay, right. <laughs> yeah, but hopefully another film next year. We film stuff, too. 
feature films you guys do feature films heck yeah we do anything just tell us where to show up <laughs> wait do you actually do you really do feature films sure huh. we absolutely could okay hey let's make a deal we don't have to do it on live tv but uh, okay, no that's awesome so you're thinking about starting next summer are you writing now or yeah yeah well i'll be okay. i'm gonna take like i have something halfway written but i'm gonna take a couple of weeks and just chill and then go back to it i think yeah so we're a creative agency where do you like what do you do to inspire yourself where does your creativity come from if you're not feeling particularly kind of i i don't know well creative in that moment uh what do you do you know i i i just kind of do i mean i i don't really have to try to find the desire to do it right like i just kind of i just track with the desire to do it you know i read somewhere that i think what is it 90% of successful actors came from divorced homes and you know many more actors come from backgrounds that were challenging and um i think you know there there's something that happens kind of in the creative arts sometimes that you know the drive to succeed is an unconscious drive to have an internal void or a sense of it, like sadness or something get filled by external adoration and I think that has a really positive quality. Rob, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me so directly, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's, but that's beautiful. I mean, it's like it has it has this wonderful quality to it that can instill a drive. And then I think part of the artist's, you know, aspiration is to find a way for that ultimately, that that void or whatever to get filled internally. And, and, and then it just becomes a skill set to turn on when you want it and to turn off when you don't. And I think, you know, for me, um, I have no problem getting motivated for something that I care about. And, you know, anything in the art art world is, is just something I care about very much. Wow. Rob, you're inspiring me to be more creative. Um, we do have a question from Aisha. What was your writing process like? Did you have to combat writer's block? And if so, do you have any tips? writing process was i'm i'm usually pretty good at getting first drafts out so i sat down and i wrote a short version of the film like i got i knew where i wanted it to end and i knew where i wanted it to start and then i just wrote a way to kind of get there that felt intuitively good and i did that in a weekend and then it was like a year of editing um the process for me was to get the content out first like make sure i had the sort of logical part of it sequence and then to go through and feel my way through kind of the wording of it and the imagery of the script um, to communicate in a more dense emotional way what what was happening so for me it would be like do a draft as like try to get a draft done as quickly as possible and just get it out and then kind of go through the refining process um, and that's then, great advice yeah yeah Sorry, you and 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 then and then write the thing. <laughs> and write the thing, and you know, I hadn't. I I'd written a couple of books in college that were kind of nonpartisan. Political. Hold on, wait. You wrote you wrote a couple of books in college. Yeah, we did. A friend and I put out a nonpartisan. Just, a, just a, I just wrote a couple of books in college. No big deal. <laughs> no, it was yeah, it was it was a cool thing. But we you know we we did a nonpartisan political anthology collecting stories by college kids across the country, writing on as you do. Issues. <laughs> And then we did like the whole media circuits around like, you know, CNN and 
uh, C-SPAN's book TV and all that. And so I knew how to write kind of like I knew how to tell, get the story out, but I didn't know screenwriting. And so like I called friends that I knew who knew screenwriting and would solicit their feedback too on like, you know, with, with, uh, with the script, one thing that I learned that was really important for me was, you know, you could just describe, you, you could describe the action, but that can get really kind of emotionally meh if your entire script is like that. So you want to find like imagery, like, you know, I could write my character, Matt walks out of the jail and he's, you know, ragged and his clothes are frayed and he's just looks unhealthy and blah, blah, blah. Or you could be like, you know, he exits and he looks like alcohol smells. And that just captures what a whole bunch of words, you know, would take a lot longer to describe. And so kind of thinking in imagery was something that I learned more in screenwriting that was really helpful too. Yeah, that's that's a really great point. Um, and Matt did look like alcohol smelled at certain points in that film, it's I will say. Like <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, we have some more questions coming in live here. Hi, I'm Britt. Hi, Britt. Um, I'm wondering if you can tell us if there is a specific trait that helped you get through the whole process, you know, like... I'm inspired by this Arnold Schwartz doc that I just watched Great. and you know certain themes that he talks about are like resonating with me you know like early to bed early to rise so do you have um a little mantra or anything that could help us first of all I freaking love that documentary so much it's so good um <laughs> He also has these like weird motivational, they're not weird, they're just really cool motivational things like you were saying, like the early to bed, like he has so many of those that I love. And I used to, I love listening to those when I'm running, side note. Um, but but I think, you know- Wait, he runs too? He's a runner as well. What doesn't this guy do? Sorry, sorry. It just keeps getting, it's just more and more and more. He's trying to make me like blush on the right. Yes. Um, no, it's- um. I, it, they, I, I've never run into so far in my life, like a problem that couldn't be solved somehow. Like there is, there, there, there wasn't a way to work around it. And so I think one of the things that, that, that I brought to the film and that I think I carry with me generally in my life is that if there's a problem, there's a way to figure out how to solve it. And so we had, you know, probably 50 scenarios come up in the course of the filming where would have been pretty easy to just quit and it would have been pretty easy to say yeah that's not that's not really surmountable but you just troubleshoot it i mean we just kept like you just work the problem incrementally the most immediate problem and then the next problem and then the next problem and you just trust that there's there's a kind of faith almost that you can that you can figure it out and so for me that was probably the most important thing that i brought was a, a belief that that was doable that there's always a way to to do it yeah, we're 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 pretty firm believers in uh, trying to concentrate on the solutions uh, at at diagonal as well. We have a question from uh, Aisha and Aaron. Yes, hi, I'm Aaron. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Aaron. Um, kind of back to the writing side of things. Do you have any tips for how to differentiate character dialogue? You know, for for me, one way that I would do that, right? Like when when you're, for me, when I'm acting, I don't. I don't really believe in acting. Like I kind of believe that we we bring a part of ourselves forward, 
for, you know, in service of whoever this person is in imaginary circumstance. So it's like in playing the character I'm playing here, I would focus a lot on, like, I know what it's like to feel abandoned or wounded or like as an outsider. And I would put a ton of my attention on that part of me and then relate to the world from that place. And these organic, spontaneous reactions would come up. I'm walking down the street from this place, someone doesn't make eye contact with me. And I have a strong impulse, like, who does this person think they are to ignore me, right? This like, I'm the center of the universe. Why are they not paying attention to me? And what would come up would be very different than how I would be in my everyday life, you know? And so one thing that I would do is I would, I would almost meditate on these different parts of me. And I would meditate on what brings me joy, what brings, you know, elicits rage or love or terror, and then kind of write from those places, um, depending on the character's sort of background. And I would just, you know, do my best to move into their imaginary circumstance and then write. But but for me in, in writing, I would start just personally, I would start by writing the idea that I think like who this person was more literally. And then I would move once I have a kind of sense of who this character is, then I would go through and just drop into kind of who they are in my in my imagination and then write from that place. But that's, I mean, that's, that's really difficult because, right, most of my characters have some voice of me in there. Um, so that's, yeah. Rob, I guess my final question for you is, the, the film is called The Year of the Dog. Yeah. And so what led you to that title? I think it's just kind of a simple, you know, I thought it rounded out that it was a nice way to end the story. And it was, I guess the deeper part would be that it's it's a metaphor for the way that dogs can live kind of in the moment. Like they have the ability to meet us where we're at and they tend to be living kind of moment by moment by moment. And maybe in some senses, every year and every moment should be the year of the dog for that reason. I, I mean, he's a very deep guy. I knew there was a deeper meaning to it. Yeah, um, I didn't know that, Blake. Uh, <laughs> Rob, uh, you know, we want people to see the film. Uh, we're going to be sharing this out. We'll pop your social handles up right now. And we'll pop up a place that the website for the year of the dog movie is. Oh, yeah, the year of the dog movie.com. I knew that. And uh, year dog movie.com, and you can find it on Prime. And, uh, you know, it's a beautiful film. It's uh, really well done, well directed, well acted, well written. The dog is fantastic as well. You lucked out there, I think, with a really great animal. <laughs> it's such a, such a lovely kind of um, soul. And, uh, and your, your cast is awesome too. And your your technical team was great. So bravo to you. And, uh, you know, you're definitely a member of the in crowd. So thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, everyone. All right. We'll see you next time. 